0: and little bit about the idea that stands behind the force and influences our decisions. So, um, just as we can refine the vital and the energies, the emotions, the passions, the impulse or will to life. Similarly, there is a lot which can be done about a mind. So, what happens after a break is, you don't feel like speaking. (laughs) So, so let me ask from you and start from there. What are the possibilities of the mind? Mind what all the mind can do. Yeah. Plan, yes. And very often its plans don't work out in the long run, but it must plan. Huh? Direct us, it can concentrate and direct us in a certain way. Yes. Think. We can think, as that famous character in Siddhartha, Harman, he says, Siddhartha, when he asks, what you can do? He says, I can fast, I can think, I can meditate. So I can think, right, what else? Control, what? Emotions. Yes, mind can control our emotions and create a difficult situation for the poor emotional being. But yes, it can control. It can definitely um, clip the wings of emotion. It can also see that where it is totally taking a waver turn. Yes, it can do that. What else? Hmm? Cre- creation. Creativity. Okay, uh, to an extent. But mind in itself is not i mean human mind as it is yes okay create it can create create what does it create it does create it has a creative power in it it can create forms it can give forms and these forms can sometimes be not only as real but even more real than physical realities Yes, imagination is the power of creativity. Have you ever experienced that a real ghost is less frightening than an imaginary one? <laughs> At least that what appears when you see some of the movies, ghost some of the <laughs> most ghost movies fall in two categories. Either the ghost is a comic character, when they try to show too crude and too grotesque and the ghost is trying to be very scary Actually you feel like laughing. Or it's a friendly character. Two kind of ghosts. But the imaginary ghost can be very frightening. Hmm? And it's very real to those who experience it. So you see, we can form. This is the power of the mind to form images. And the best part is when the mind forms images, we begin to live in it and we live in it as if trapped in it, and trapped by it. Experience the mental trap, the trap of one's own imagination, so difficult to get out of that, right? So the mind can form images, it can create images. The mind can also introduce order of its own kind into things. It categorizes things. This is money, this is objects, this is this, these are flowers. So if they are all lying scattered, the mind tends to create a kind of order, categorizes them. The mind can analyze data given to it and mathematize, add, subtract, multiply, divide and draw inferential conclusions. Alright, so all this mind can do too many things. Can the mind know with all these things that it can do? It can form images, it can think, it can organize or plan, it can analyze data, create an order into into whatever data is given to it. Can the mind know How? When I use the word know, I am meaning, does it have access to infallible knowledge? Or is its knowledge always shadowed by a doubt or error? Mind's knowledge. Not its planning and action and execution. It can be very good in planning and action and execution. But can it know... Tell me one thing that the mind can know. Yes? It doesn't know. Essentially, all mind's knowledge is a very indirect, inferential kind of knowledge. It's a very imperfect form of knowledge, very temporary and it actually doesn't know. That's true. Because a lot of so-called knowledge that the mind arrives at is from the data received from the senses. Hmm? Data input, all means of, we spoke about decision making and how data goes in and then based on that we decide. And we trust that this data is right. But as we have seen in the previous session, that the very data itself is falsified. To begin with, our senses don't report things as they are. And between the sense data and the mind, something intervenes. Have you noticed something intervening between observing and reporting? Have you ever seen when, uh, you know, something has happened and you go back and excitedly you report about it? And what you report and what has happened, there is a difference. And how craftily the mind cuts off one side and reports the other. It has already assumed a position and all the data has to squeeze itself to fulfill that opinion that the mind has taken. These are called mind games. Mind plays many games. That's why, you know, yesterday we were speaking about the great capacity of the mind to deceive itself. And of course others. But deceiving others is one deceiving itself it just picks up one side and it says everything and when you look at the other side another truth begins to appear even if it knows both the sides still the mind cannot arrive at truth even when it knows something on the surface it does not know what is behind Supposing you came to know, let's take a simple example, that one person killed another. Or Let me make it more objective. Somebody took a dagger out and thrust it into another person's heart. Good or bad? Bad. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Okay. This man who thrust the dagger into the heart was on duty as a policeman, watchman. And the man in whose heart the dagger was thrust was a criminal who was trying to offend the dignity of another person. Good or bad? See, just one level of change and the data changes. We can go a step behind, as we nowadays discuss, The man who thrust the dagger in the heart, though a policeman, was moved by a perverse pleasure in killing. Whereas the man who was stabbed, though a criminal, was a victim of circumstances. Now situation is becoming complex. (laughs) That's what happens when people enter into human rights issues. No? A person may have done everything right from the visible standards and yet there is something inside which the mind cannot see. And yet that has moved the person at a given point of time. From all outer point of view, he is right. There are very nice films to this effect. And nowadays these issues are coming to the forefront of human consciousness which is a very good sign. It shows that the human mind is beginning to become more and more subtle, complex. Now, you have these complex things. The mind usually likes to, the, the simpler mind tries to deal with very few data, very few things. The moment you enter into these complexities, says, oh God, it's becoming too much. No, no, don't, don't, uh, don't talk about these things. We don't know all that. Policeman, he killed, he was on duty, he did the right thing. Legal mind stops there. But not the aesthetic mind, not the seeking mind. It wants to go deeper. It can go still deeper. And says, what are the forces that move men to perversity? Let me give, tell you a story. It's the story of a sage called Mandavya. Now, as it happens that in a king's palace, there is a stealth. And the robbers are running chased by the king's watchmen and they are running behind the robbers and the robbers know now we cannot really outdo them and they are passing by a sage's hermitage and they see the sage sitting always i don't know why they saw sages with closed eyes there can be sages with open eyes but nevertheless this is a sage with closed eyes and they must have a beard you know otherwise he's not sagely and must also wear something you know khaki or gerua or whatever so there, you know, he sees a sage. That's the picture of a sage. So they drop the jewels there and run away. So meanwhile the robbers come there, see the jewel lying there. They infer, this sage has stolen and now he is this this man has stolen and now he's behaving like a sage. So they pick him up, beat him black and blue, and drag him to the king's court. The king is busy with his own you know, he has no time to look into all these petty matters of theft and all so the main person goes and says the head uh, of the king's retinue of uh, you know police he goes and says that sir we have caught the robber who stole the jewelry from your court oh you have caught him Okay, fine punish him the standard punishment was that throw him on a bed of nails for the whole night So, he is also thrown on the bed of nails. So, when you are on the bed of nails, you are expected to die by next day. So, next day morning, they come to open and they see the sage sitting on the bed of nails and meditating. The sage's name is Mandavya. So, they are horrified. This man has survived. This cannot be an ordinary thief. So, they go and tell the king, This seems to be some mistake. This thief has some extraordinary powers. So now the king comes and when he sees, he recognizes the sage. So he falls at his feet and says, Sir, I am very sorry. So the sage says, what? Sorry for what? He says, whole night because of me you had to go through this punishment. Oh, you are so important. I didn't know. You have the power to punish me. No, no, forget about it. So he thinks the sage has taken real offence and now the curse is going to come, you know. Sages are shown to curse at the drop of their hat. So, he says, sir, please I beg of you, pardon me. So the sage says, don't waste my time. I have something very urgent and important to solve. He says, what is it that can be more urgent? He says, I want to find out who is the person. Because of whom, why I had to suffer this this night of sleeping on the bed of knees, this night of suffering. So the king says, I am the one, I am telling you, I am right in front of you. He says, look here, don't be a fool of your own ego. I am going to meet the God of death. He is the one who ordains fate for human beings. I want to ask him, why did he allow such a thing to happen by a strange twist of circumstances? Who are you? You are a mere instrument. Get lost. Get out of my way. So he goes, and as the story goes, he meets, the, meets Death. And Death says that so many births back, always, you know, there is a strange karma theory that you did some pricked some, somebody and therefore you suffered. So the sage says, what? For a small act done in ignorance, such a big punishment, with all the power of my tapasya, I change the law of karma. So that's the kind of depth to which one can go. But that depth cannot come merely by mind. Mind cannot arrive at that depth. It stops in matter at the atomic void. And one wonders how forms appear out of matter. We just, you know, in the previous session we saw that strange paradox. The mind stops at the genetic rubble out of which a beautiful mansion called human beings are built. The mind stops at the neurons and its babbles. It cannot go further, it has an inherent limitation. To go further, the mind must get out of its imprisoned ranges and learn to become quiet and receptive to a higher truth. So, I have an opportunity at this point to correct a particular aphorism of Shurbinda which yesterday I, message which I spoke a veil behind the heart and a lid above the mind. So, how this lid becomes thin? Sharvinda says, peace and silence. Thin the lid. This lid, mind is so restless all the time. In fact, it's described as the image of a monkey standing on an unstable pole. The pole is inside a boat which is on turbulent waves. That is how the mind is described traditionally. And yet, this monkey, which is standing on the pole, aimlessly, tossed by the storms in a little boat on a turbulent sea, has the potential to become a Hanuman and serve a higher truth. The whole story of Hanuman is that, the conversion of the vital and the mental, of course, primarily the vital, but the mind itself, if it can become concentrated, The capacity to concentrate, the capacity to fall still, the capacity to not go blank, going blank is (laughs) going, going blank, all of us go blank. But the capacity to become peaceful and quiet and silent and receptive to something like a truth above which can reflect into the mind. As in a glass, something is reflected. Or as they describe, in a calm lake, the image is reflected. So that is one possibility of the mind. Then the mind can concentrate its energy to an extent that the forms that it produces can become durable and powerful. They are called mental forms. They have a great power. With a great capacity for mind formation, which develops as we learn to concentrate, the mind can channelize that form in a certain direction, and achieve results it has a great power of formation when you concentrate light it becomes laser and laser can achieve what ordinary light cannot heard about laser surgery it literally means light can pierce through and cut things ordinary light cannot laser can do that similarly the mind in its ordinary state is fritting here and there. You see, if a discussion starts, right now we are all focused because, you know, it's a classroom. Just let the class go away and let us all sit and chit-chat. Everything will be discussed from the highest to the lowest. All the range. The discussion will start with Sachin Tendulkar, go on to Shah Rukh Khan and you know, come back to economics and the stock market and in between something on meditation also. The mind runs like that. It does not have a capacity to concentrate. By learning to focus on one single idea, one single thought, one single image, the mind can develop tremendously its power of concentration. Elite to concentration is something which seems like it's opposite but is complementary, is the mind's ability to become wide. It can become so wide that it can accommodate different standpoints in a synthesis. Not there are two kinds of wideness. One is the wideness of the waste paper basket. You know, you read a nice poetry, its job is over, you tear it and throw it. You read a cheap novel, you tear it and throw it. You read the newspaper, you tear it and throw it. So, waste paper basket is very wide. Everything is pell-mell there. That's not what is wideness. Because nothing is organized well. The most contradictory things are just held together. But true wideness is the wideness of the sky, which holds all things, but in the right place. Or the wideness of the earth. So, that is the wideness which the mind can develop, where everything is kept in its right and proper and just place and interlinked with each other in a beautiful harmonious synthesis. So mind can become wide. Then mind can become supple. What is the difference between a rigid mind and a supple mind? There is somebody who has given a um, definition of youth and old age so old age is one of the definitions old age is sometimes defined as a time when the narrow waist and the broad mind change places got it? they change places, the mind become more and more narrow and rigid just does not let things pass whereas a supple mind is ever willing to soak, receive new ideas and progress. Mind has an infinite capacity to progress. You must have met two kinds of people. One, who even in their elderly age are ever willing to learn new things and try out new things. There are people who in their 70s, 80s have learned the computers and started emailing and everything. Whereas there are others who will say, oh, oh, they it's it. But they enjoy nevertheless all the good things of the modern zamana. Huh? But it's always, you know, in our days we had kerosene lamps. In our days we had this. In our days we have that. But when they are ill, they like to go to the modern doctor and the best one. They don't say, in our days we had pink and green mixtures. They like to go to, you know, the best surgeons and the topmost so there are these in mind there is a capacity to progress it can become wide and plastic and supple it can receive new things and assimilate them and grow as a result of them for instance when you have come here some of us may be receiving new things you may be hearing things which are very very new terms which you may not be familiar at all now a rigid mind what it will do is it will go back and say nothing, you know, it's all useless. Let's get back to whatever it is known, with, whatever it's familiar with, that narrow range of ideas, it's its limit. It cannot go beyond it. But there will be another kind of mind will say, oh, this is interesting. I never thought of it this way. I never looked at it like that. My god, it's something fascinating. There is something wonderful to discover. And it will go deeper and deeper into what it has received. And the seed flowers and blossoms. So these are the capacities of the mind, the capacity to concentrate, the capacity to organize, the capacity to give forms, more and more powerful forms, the capacity to become wide and supple and plastic, the capacity to become quiet and open to higher truths, the capacity to concentrate on a single idea, a single image, a single thought. And if we develop all these capacities, then the instrumentality of the mind becomes more and more powerful. We spoke about the skinware and the software. So mind is the software. And this software, we upgrade our windows, no? Every couple of years because there are bugs. But for the mind, we let the worms and the viruses introduced in our childhood to remain. Whatever was taught to me by my father... And that goes for everything. We neither choose, I mean, when we grow up, we should make choice of everything, including the religion we must follow, the path we should undertake, the journey of life, the aim that I should put before myself, everything. But most people are stuck to the past, even so called young people, they are stuck to the past. And they remain confined to whatever customary ideas, thoughts, notions they were taught, fed with the mother's milk, and there's the end of life. Though they revolt with the parents with regard to, and, and it's good, it's good that the modern generation is revolting. Fantastic. At least they are learning to break free from the molds of the past. And children who don't revolt, who are like, you know, goody goody sadhu bachas, who quietly accept whatever, you know, they have learned, They just perpetuate the same past trends. So mind's ability to receive new things and to go deeper into it, to assimilate it and synthesize it with its own. It's not that past has to be discarded, but it has to be picked up, assimilated and integrated with the new. And then even that is not enough to move towards the future. So the vital and the mind, they can be wonderful instruments if we develop them and educate them. And finally, but they can be very poor masters. When one leads the life by the mercy of the vital, it's a very poor master. It's a powerful instrument. When one leads life only by the mind, it's like, you know, a little lamp, not even a proper lamp. It's alright, it lights up a little bit. But what it does not light up, is often far more important it can light up the small picture but the mind ordinary mind human mind cannot give the larger picture of life so they are good instruments but poor masters so who is the master that's where we can end today who is the master who is our master who Drives my mind, who drives my vital, who drives my emotions, who drives my passions, who drives my impulses, who drives this physical body. Have you seen how the body is driven by different forces at different times? Body is just a instrument, you know, that we know. One force comes, drives it, another comes and drives it. Who drives these instruments? The ego or the soul. This is what we have to decide. Yeah, it should be the soul. But ordinarily in almost all of us, it is the ego which drives the mind and the soul and the the vital and the body. We are driven from one place to another for the pursuits of egoistic satisfaction. For selfish reasons, for petty, small and narrow interests. But when the soul drives us, then the whole objective changes, the image changes, the whole larger picture and the smaller picture changes. And then if, the, if it has at its disposal a beautiful mind and a powerful vital, a strong and healthy physical, then we have arrived at the fulfillment of life that we seek so we have had a quite a good amount of discussion and Loki, let's have a little bit of questions and dialogues if there are no reactions <laughs> okay I was thinking that then everybody's mind has fallen silent. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad. Okay. So different sources of energy that can come to us. One is from the physical, food we eat, the breath, etc. The other is from, at its own level, the vital. The third is, f- vital means emotions, passions, they give us energy. and We are driven by them. The third is from the ranges above and we had a glimpse of that in terms of inspiration. There are people who are inspired by something beyond the mind which essentially, we can use the word spiritual, but you know, spiritual is a whole range. But let us say that beyond the realm of the ordinary human mind, you know, what drives a so-called genius, for hours, if you see, you know, people who are deeply inspired, for hours and hours, have you seen um, a, a musical, a, a, a concert or something? I mean, there's sometimes the whole night... People can be inspired and continue to be with their music, lost to everything else. And they are in a state of ananda, you know, they don't feel tired. Similarly, people who suddenly open to something much higher in terms of their writing, for hours and hours, they can continue without any interruption. They don't feel hungry, they don't feel depleted. The best is when they finish, they feel energetic and rejuvenated. So there are higher sources of energy beyond the ordinary human mind. And we use the word spiritual to describe these higher ranges. Now there actually you can use the word ranges, higher ranges of the mind. Means those ranges which are not yet accessible to us in our ordinary life. So these are higher ranges of a higher consciousness. Consciousness is a more neutral word. And beyond all these higher ranges there is the very highest. We may use the word, the divine, the perfect. I will not go into semantics of it. But there is a very highest and the purest form of consciousness. Fully aware, all capable, all luminous. And if we can touch that even for a moment, we can feel rejuvenated. In Sometimes we get that. Have you ever noticed that you are tired and... You are sitting and kind of trying to meditate and you fall asleep. Few minutes and when you wake up you are very very fresh. As if the entire thing has passed away. Even sometimes during ordinary sleep. Few minutes and you are rejuvenated. A whole day's tiredness is gone. Sometimes it happens, not always. That is because in that so-called sleep we have touched some higher source. And within a moment it rejuvenates us much more than probably you know. Uh, so much of food and all this will do so there are higher ranges and if we teach the mind to become quiet and through the power of aspiration by inculcating peace and silence we open our mind to these higher ranges then we have an access to a purer form of energy normally the energy that feeds us is like coal engine So that coal throws a lot of smoke. Desire. When desire runs us, it eats the very fuel and throws a lot of smoke. So desire-driven life leads to buy one happiness, get two sorrows free. That is a kind of life. You know, it throws a lot of smoke and it stifles. After a while, see what happens when you are driven by desire. Very soon the thrill begins to change. Pleasure begins to change into pain, suffering, excitement, agitation and all the rest. So if we learn to quieten the desired self, we learn to quieten the mind then we open to higher ranges and with an aspiration and peace and little practice and grace we can open to these higher ranges and begin to automatically get attuned to higher sources of energy. And consciousness. When I use the word energy, please don't take it as mechanical energy. Because the moment we think of energy, we think of something unconscious. Something which human beings can pick it up and choose and possess. It's a very, very Asuric notion of understanding energy. Energy is one with consciousness. And everything where there is energy, there is consciousness. Only it may be a small consciousness. It may be a much greater consciousness than the human. So, we, we are talking of it in that sense. So, This is one way about the higher ranges. The second, you spoke about human interchange. Yes, um, we spoke about how we, human interchange is a very interesting phenomena to study. How the most depleted energy state we may be in and suddenly another human being comes, we begin to chatter and if it is Parninda, then we begin to take a lot of joy in it and slowly the whole thing gets charged and energetic. This one kind of source. It is a very unfortunate source of misery. But this human interchange can become, we have to become very conscious when we are dealing with, in a human interchange, because we are most unguarded. Well, we spontaneously think one of my kind. You know, if a dog is there on the road, we want to be sure whether he is rabbit or he is normal, whether he will bite us or he will not bite us. Right? Or if you obviously a diseased human being, then we are a little careful, you know, that he will pass his influenza to us. Right? We are cautious. But we never even think for a while that just as there is something called as an outer disease, which is visible and obvious, human beings can harbor within themselves some of the vilest and the most wicked thoughts and impulses. And they are hidden to our surface eyes. If somebody has a skin condition, it is seen, but as they say, no, a fractured bone is visible, but a fractured heart is not. So when we interact with human beings, if we do it indiscriminately, then we become prone to all kinds of problems and errors, simply because of this indiscriminate interchange. All kinds of things get into us, and all kinds of things things go out of us. That's why there was a very beautiful word in Indian ethos, which holds true for all times: Sat the company of those who are living or trying to live by the truth, who are trying, making an effort to progress, to be wise. As a general rule, it's always good to be friendly with those who are a little ahead of us in their wisdom. It's always good. It helps us to progress. See, children want to grow up because they are all the time in the company of the adults. So it's like that when we are in the company of those who are Who don't just flatter our opinions. But normally we want people who can just flatter our opinions. Who will always say, yes sir. And there is no better way of going down. Because if you are surrounded by yes sirs, you never progress. That's why when God loves you a lot, He puts you sometimes with those who are just your very opposite. It sometimes helps to progress. Because you have to... Inwardly make a kind of accommodation, widening, adjustment. But here we are talking of a different phenomena. That we have to, in human interchange, be careful that we are not in close company of those who harbor within them wicked and vile thoughts. It just kind of pollutes our mental atmosphere. And we have to be careful of that. Second, just as we have a physical hygiene, okay, you can't avoid it. You are in a company setting, fair enough. You can't say that I am going to be choosy and touchy and that's not what is suggested. What is suggested is to be inwardly conscious. In other words, to give a simile, there are people with whom we meet outside the door and say bye-bye. There are others with whom we play and sport. There are some others whom we will call into a drawing room, you know, sitting room. There are still others who have access to our kitchen and a few rooms. But you don't allow everybody to enter your bedroom. Isn't it? That place is your private space. And it has to be respected. So same way within our mind, there's some with whom we interact very superficially. With those with whom we know that they can really pollute the whole mind. And we want to live and progress in a higher light. Then you have to be careful of the kind of company we choose. Yes, fine. We are in a workplace. We have a certain working relationship. Fair enough. But let this working relationship not degrade into all kinds of relationships. But there are some with whom we actually feel nurtured, nourished, helped in our progress. They are the ones with whom we should be intimate. So we must draw a line between intimacy and acquaintance. Between friendship and just casually knowing someone. And I think most of us know it. But the choice should be based not on the basis of you scratch my back and I scratch yours. Most of the time we are intimate with those who flatter our opinions. And those who help us to progress, we like to keep away. Because you know, these people are going to... So this is what I meant by human interchange. And of course, as I said, you cannot avoid human beings. And that's not what is intended by this. But just be conscious, be careful. Yes, uh, that's a very good question, a practical question. How can we develop the mind? One very simple and direct way is to develop the power of concentration. Very fundamental. And there are several ways of doing it. You can pick up an image, you can pick up an idea, you can pick up a thought, and either concentrate on that idea, or you let your mind and thoughts run around that idea. Take for instance the thought of love. God is love. Now, you can concentrate on this idea of the divine as love. Or, what is love? And the different shades and sides of love through a process of reflection and introspection. So, that gives the mind the capacity to organize itself around a central idea. Then, when we are face to face with a contradiction, then to learn to enlarge and find a common meeting point so that we can understand both sides and put each in its own place and arrive at something higher. Take for example, some time back there was a antagonism between spirituality, so-called, and materialism. Now it still exists in the mind, in some some people, because conditioned. But, say, a scenario 50 years back, what would have been the setting when things like soul and spiritual would have been discussed? what you imagine would have been the setting probably a monastery with some people wearing a girva dress right sitting in a certain atmosphere starting with some kind of a mantra char etc etc right and material life would have been a setting where people are sitting in the kind of dresses we are all wearing and talking about you know all kinds of things but today the best part is there is an urge to integrate The material and the spiritual. Now, How do you integrate the two? So on one side there is the material idea of life. On the other side there is the spiritual idea of life. Now one way of integrating is the material should be an instrument of expression of the spiritual. So this is a synthesis. We need not discard the material. We need not run away from it or shy away from it. Let me give a small example from Indian thought. We all know about the idea of evolution, as it is there in, in, uh, in taught to us from the standard textbooks of biology. Heard about evolution? We all have, you know, hear about appearance of different forms. Charles Darwin. Now a great debate is going on in the West on whether evolution is true or creationism is true. On one side there is evolutionary theory. On the other side there is creationism. God created all things. How would you reconcile these two ideas? In Indian thought it is reconciled in a very beautiful way. In the form of a small parable. Have you heard the parable of the ten incarnations of Vishnu? Nobody has heard. Someone must have heard. It's one of the Parables we have received from the mother's milk. The parable of the ten incarnations, to cut this long story short, is that God comes down on earth and takes a form. The first form it takes is the form of a fish. I'm cutting a long story which is a very fascinating short. The second form it takes we'll just talk about God taking form. The story itself is very fascinating. The second he takes the form of a tortoise, the giant turtle. Then it takes the form of a boar, wild boar, vara. Then it takes the form of a half lion, half human, nursing. Then it takes the form of a dwarf man, vamana. Then it takes the form of a wild man who depletes earth 21 times of an intense and unregenerate vital energy. Parshurama. and then comes the man with an ideal ethic who embodies the highest ideals the mind can conceive and that energy of the mind which controls the vital and disciplines it he gives it an ideal law of life, Rama then comes another avatar who exceeds the mind brings a higher truth to man and teaches him the way to act by that and then as the story goes, eventually, at the end of the whole cycle, the last avatar, who would bring down a kingdom of God, of light, of truth upon earth. Now these thoughts are distorted. When I speak of kingdom of God on earth, please don't take it to the... They are there in religions, but they have been distorted to me in a particular form of religion. What it means, the kingdom of light, of heaven, in the... Yeah? Yeah. Something a higher light, a greater truth, and integrate it with this earth. You know, integrate matter and spirit. But we will not go into that. Now, but does this parable ring a bell? Does it have any link to our story of evolution? The sequence? God born as fish? God born as turtle? God born as a wild boar? God born as a link species? And then onwards, God born as human, but within the human range of possibility. From the dwarf man, to the man, wild man, to the man with an ideal ethic, to a man who goes beyond the mental ranges, to a man who integrates the higher spiritual and the material within him. So, here, the two seemingly opposite ideas of a material evolution And the spiritual are integrated in a beautiful way. So the mind can develop the capacity to synthesize oppositions. And all oppositions of life are eventually meant for that. And the greatest opposition is within us. The light and the shadow. So this is the second way. Concentrate, then run around an idea, then learn to make the mind wide and supple and plastic and synthesize diverse ideas open to new possibilities and finally to teach the mind to become quiet and silent at will this can be done best by calling silence and peace because silence and peace exist as a self-existent reality beyond the mind but our human mind is too much of a fret and a fume and does not allow it to come So if we keep the mind a little more ready and we seek it, we seek silence, we seek peace with an aspiration, then slowly the mind becomes quieter and quieter and quieter. So there are so many possibilities of the mind we can develop with practice. There are many, many other things. It would need a workshop to talk about just the mind. So let's have some mental silence and some snacks, after snacks of the soul, some snacks for the body, right? Let's take a break. Thank you.